Hey, welcome to Romance Happy Hour. I'm Dylan Crush, and I am here tonight with Shana Gray and Emma Berry. You will notice we are dawnless this evening. Um, Dawn had a family obligation that she had to attend, and so I am going to try to do my best to, um, I guess, just man the hostess seat alone. So we'll see how I do. Um, but yeah, we're excited to have you back, Shana. I'm always happy to have you here. You were here incognito a couple weeks ago. A big yeah. surprise for everybody. So glad to have you back. And Emma, this is your first time with us. So I'm welcome, super welcome. excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And we did have a little technical difficulties where we're starting a couple minutes late. That was um, our fault completely. I'm going to blame Dawn because she's not here, which is, you, you know, yourself. <laughs> yeah, which is always the risk when you're when you're not present to defend yeah. yourself that you get the blame. But uh, we had a, a little link issue. But so that's why we're starting a couple minutes late. Um, but yeah, we're, we're all here now, and I am going to let both of you introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit about what you've been working on, and if you want to tell us what you're going to read from tonight or um, whatever you would like to fill us in on. So, um, Shana, you want to go first? Sure. Um, hi, everybody. I've been here before, as you know, and I've, I can't even remember what books I've, I've read from, but... This one I don't think I've read from. And we did a poll out there um, earlier. Who, what did you want me to read? Backdraft or Northern? I can never get right. Northern Rest. It's all backwards when you're on here. No, it's like yeah. I'm, I'm like ridiculous. Anyways, so Backdraft one, And this is the cover. So it's a nice hot cover. And it's available in paperback and also KU. So you can you can get it in there. But I'm um, I read Contemporary Romance. Um, a lot of it. Uh, with heat, uh, I've toned down some, but I think heat's coming back because I'm going into another, mm -hmm. a couple of anthologies coming up. And one is called Saints and Sinners. And I've got my name, it's mm -hmm. called Obsession. So that should be fun. But, um, and I was here before with Catherine and Kath, as Catherine, and Catherine's book is there. <laughs> I can't do this. Anyways, you guys know me and um, I see friends in there and I hope you're recuperating, Linda. And um, if you have questions, I will come back afterwards unless Don or Dylan tells us about them. Okay. Yeah, I know we were talking about that before. Um, Sheena was asking, like, do viewers know that we can't actually comment on on the posts while the show's going on? Because um, the the interface that we use, you you don't have the ability to comment. We can comment as the hosts, but yeah, the the attending authors can't. So um, so yeah, if if you have a question or comment that um, Sheena or Emma don't get to and don't see um they can come back and and get to those later because they don't have the ability to do that while the show's going on so just so you guys know so emma um first time guest thanks for being here tonight you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you write and absolutely <clears throat> so um, I write contemporary romance and I'm going to read today from Chick Magnet, um, which Ooh. again, nice hot cover. Um, and uh, this is also available in KU and it's KU read and listen. So the audiobook, I will do my best to read well from it, but I have to tell you the audio is like a zillion times better than I will be. Um, but yeah, I write mostly contemporary, but sometimes historical and it's like mid 20th century historical. I haven't written like Regency. Um, but I live in Virginia and, uh, and do keep chickens, which is relevant to the book, but I'm super excited to be here, um, and to share with y'all tonight. 
Great. We're glad you're here. Um, and I did I see little baby chicks on your cover, I think. There are, like, in fact, little baby chicks. Little the baby title chicks is like, it's it's a it's a pun. Like, he's a veterinarian, <laughs> but then there are also, like, backyard chickens. So, yeah, it's, awesome. it's <laughs> lots of chickens. chickens. Awesome. <laughs> on my farm, Plymouth Bard Rocks. I have two Plymouth Bard Rocks as well. Yeah, That's so funny. I them. I had them for, like, five years, and they were great layers. And then a fox came along and popped off all their heads mm. on me. Oh, and it was no. so um, distressing to see that. So, anyways, that's a sad topic. Yeah. It sure is. Yeah. Thanks for taking us just right down there, Shana. Um, <laughs> you can count on me to say almost anything. <laughs> um, how many chickens do you have chickens now, Emma? I do. I have four at the moment. I have two Plymouth Bard Rocks and I have an Americana who lays green eggs. And then I have a Black Star. Um, and so, yeah, I've kept chickens for five and a half years. And the scene I'm going to read is based on a real thing that happened with my chickens, which is okay. where one of, well, uh, I no won't spoil the surprise. But <laughs> no foxes involved. <laughs> no, thank goodness. <laughs> do you have trouble protecting them? I had a friend, um, that I went to high school with and I was watching she lived in um, Arkansas or something but um, she was starting to get into chickens and you know and she lost like her entire she was so excited she had the whole hen house set up with all the wire and everything and and like something came in and wiped out all of her chickens and it took her like three tries to find something to keep whatever it was that was getting to them out and it was just like devastating um, I, I have lost one hen to a hawk. Um, and okay. so like that, and that was about a year ago and now we have the whole run is covered. So like okay. we had the house itself was covered, but during the day we'd let them out into like this fenced run and we didn't have, um, netting over it. We do now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it can be, it can be, um, difficult cause they're so vulnerable, right? Like they look big and they look like, you know, they can get really angry and be like little dinosaurs, but like yeah. they're a little vulnerable, like piles yeah. of fluff, you know, um, yeah. and almost anything can hurt them. I think chickens are amazing because like to go through the world like that with so little protection and be as like bossy as they are, like mm -hmm. that takes a lot of, a lot of chicken strength i think i don't know they, they project very big so i love chickens um i'm a, a big fan <laughs> I, I am too like when you say there's there's not much to protect them well mine were free range so they would go out in the day and they do their thing and then they come in at night a lot of times they'd roost up in the i had a small barn they'd roost in the rafters and that's what i should have let them do when i saw the fox was there and had killed the first one i mm -hmm. let them go up but instead i put them in the coop Mm -hmm. And there was, it was like little spaces like this and the fox got through mm. them through that. It's like I served mm. them up on a silver platter. I felt terrible. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, but I got some funny chicken stories too. We should, we should chat sometime. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm always here for funny chicken stories. Yes. Yes. <laughs> funny. Funny. Like, all I would go is, hey, chicken, chicken, chicken. And they come <laughs> running from wherever they were to get the kitchen scraps. <laughs> mm -hmm. They have so much personality. Like I did not know that. I was just like, oh, I'm going to get chickens. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have all these eggs. And like, like, they are like the coolest little pets and like every time we open the back door they like run up to the edge because they we also give them like you know like the apple cores and like yeah. like salad they love that meal. stuff yeah exactly right <laughs> they get so excited and like they have so much personality and like the pecking order and like they're they're very cool little animals to have in your life as well you as like have a rooster with them 
No, I, I mean, I live in like a suburbs, like roosters oh, are okay. actually like illegal. <laughs> My neighbor had a rooster and it was the scrawniest little thing you'd ever seen. And he would come over half the time and, and like lorded over them, but he was nasty. He'd come at you with his, his, his heels and yeah. I'd walk along down through the field and I knew he'd be behind me and I'd turn and he'd stop. <laughs> like, you can't see me if I don't move, you know, so. But he was not a nice, nice rooster. Yeah, they, they can be really hit or miss. My husband volunteers at our Humane Society, and they do have a rooster. I don't actually think they're supposed to have a rooster, but they do. And he's a bantam. His name is Napoleon, of course, because if you're going to have a bantam <laughs> rooster, yeah, it's got to be named Napoleon. But he is a sweetheart, like Aww. very gentle and like a lap rooster, like he's a cuddly. Um, And so I think they can be either really aggressive or I think some of them can actually be kind of gentlemanly. So it sort of depends on your, your rooster. <laughs> That is funny. Um, you never know what you're going to learn on Romance Happy Hour. So I, I think we've definitely <laughs> gone to the ends tonight, but <laughs> I can't wait to hear. So we are going to start off with Shana's story. You volunteered okay. to go first. So Love are you going to read just from chapter one or do you have a setup for us or anything? Um, yeah, I will tell you my setup. Um this story, a friend of mine, uh, I worked for the police and she was a sergeant um, when I met her like 15 years ago. And then she left the, the police department to become um, a fire marshal. She was one of the only female fire marshals in Canada or in Ontario, I mean. So I said to her like 10 years ago when she left, you know, we got to do a story together. And I'm trying to find, there it is. That's her. Okay. And as she's in my acknowledgments and um, we went to Bali together as well. So that was fun. So she's was my, my, um, my inspiration behind this. And the name of the heroine is Andrea and her name is Andrea as well. She, she allowed mm -hmm. that. So um, basically it's to do with the fire marshal and uh, a fling that comes back to haunt them. So I will start and you can read all the stuff like it's like I said, it's in KU, but I will begin on chapter one because I, I like to start with the first chapter. So, OK, we can do. All right, we will we um, let you get going and we'll be back when you're done. Yeah, and you just a reminder, if you have any questions for Shana or Emma or anything about the story or um, just writing or anything in general, um, pop them in the comments and we'll get to those in between. So, okay. all right, we'll be back. And just need to stop when I need to stop. <clears throat> all right. Did I have to prove myself again? Power, proof that, hang on, I got the wrong glasses on. Those are computer glasses. These are reading glasses. Excuse me. All right. Did I have to prove myself again? Prove that as the new fire investigator for the regional fire marshal's office, I had the chops. After seven years, I should expect it. A woman tre treading into the world that was solely for men, especially new to the region, required paying some dues. I get it, but it would, wouldn't it be nice if all confrontations could wait until after a fire scene is cleared? All I wanted to do right now was my job. I inched forward, my helmet light piercing through the gloom of ash and smoke. This was a fatal fire, and we had to recover the victims, a mom and her kids. My breath whooshed inside the VersaFlow PPE helmet. I looked around, making sure I wasn't straying off the safe path through the gutted house. Hot spots still flared up in the walls. I'd given orders to the truck crews to keep on top of them. Every now and then, water came through the burned out walls like a waterfall. I was used to it, but the forensic officer behind me just wasn't. 
he kept shouting, turning, turn, hang on. He kept shouting to me to turn around. I indicated it was okay and to stay on task and follow me. We were on the second floor of an older home and had to be laddered up from the window entry. Part of the floor on the left side of the house was gone and had taken the stairs with it. When kids were involved, everyone was tense, on edge, and desperate to locate the victims. I was too. But it was important to keep the team calm and go by the book. Only this wasn't a rescue. This was a recovery. I inched forward, casting my flashlight about, looking for any indication of a body. I went deeper into the house, carefully avoiding a hole in the floor. The tension coming off the forensic officer was tangible. It irritated me, and I gripped my teeth. I heard a scratching and I stopped, shining the flashlight around to see what could be making the noise, but there was nothing. A tap on my shoulder startled me, but I forced myself to keep my reaction as minimal as possible. I refused to show any sign of weakness and faced the forensic offer with a blank expression. What's up? I looked into his eyes. I didn't know his name yet. I assumed he'd also heard the noise. It's nothing. I shook my head, but I hear something, he yelled. There was really no need to yell, and it was further indication of his state of mind. I patted him on the shoulder. If you can't be in here without freaking out, then leave. I've got to find these bodies. It was as if saying bodies snapped sense into him. He nodded, and his flashlight shimmered through the haze. Stay with me, I called to him. I wouldn't it wouldn't do for him to get lost in the house. I had the floor plan imprinted in my brain. I knew where we could step and where we couldn't. I knew which bedroom was where and who was supposed to be in each room. I heard the scratching again. There was something in the walls, maybe a rat trying to get out or a bird. I couldn't get sentimental over an animal that could be harmed by the fire. I didn't like animals being hurt, but right now we had to focus on the occupants of the house. Something caught my eye through the doorway as some of the smoke cleared. Then it was gone as another wave of smoke and water rained down on us. Hey, I yelled to the officer. And the officer looked up from sifting through a pile of charred furniture that was still smoldering. I pointed. He nodded. Through there. We inched our way forward. The scratching continued behind us and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Stop it. Don't let your mind run away with you. This isn't your first time. Something caught my eye. And the beam of my torchlight illuminated a pale object protruding from the ash and debris. I knew what it was before I got close enough to confirm. I put out my right hand to stop him. Our eyes met, and I knew by the expression on his face that he saw what I had. He glanced to the ground, his mouth moving as if he was saying something, perhaps a prayer. I stepped around a broken and burned out door into the charred hall. I kneeled down, careful not to disturb anything, and rested for the briefest moment, looking down at the small skeletal hand that had reached out of the pile of burned up fabric. We'd found the toddler. I pulled the radio from my pocket, spoke into the mic, and advised the team of our its discovery. I took photos to document the find before marking the location and moving on down the hall. This was going to be a long recovery. Moving carefully through the upstairs hall toward the other bedroom, I hoped and dreaded finding the remains of the mother and the other child. Hours later, I needed a break. I was hot and felt a bit faint. The last thing I wanted was to pass out or puke in front of the new crew. 
I'd find I'd fight through pretty much any discomfort before letting them think I couldn't handle my job. There was time for a short break before I had to get back into the building. I had to call in Shannon. She was the forensic anthropologist and needed to be on scene when a body was disarticulated. The other toddler was found in the closet and it was clear Shannon needed to come. My truck was parked just the other side of the fire trucks and the police cruisers. Normally, there was room for me to pull up in front of the building, which I preferred. I've had items stolen from my truck in the past, so I like to keep it close. I pulled off my PPE gear and Tyvek suit. I wish I'd worn my cooling vest today. Using my supply of wet wipes, I quickly washed my face and hands and then set up my cooling chair in the shade of the truck and filled the arms with ice from my big cooler. Finally, I plopped into the chair and it was heaven. I sat there with my arms immersed in the melting ice, legs spread out in front of me and closed my eyes. A lovely chill pushed the heat in me out. I couldn't stay here forever. Instead, I gave myself a few more moments before getting the lunch and drinks I'd packed, I'd packed up in the other cooler. I was parched and the ice cold water with a drop of lime cordial hit the spot. I kept my eye on the house and the fire crews. It was my scene and nobody was allowed back in the house until I said, sure, there was a lot of power that came with my position. And yes, I'd got a lot of resistance in the beginning, but not so much anymore. Now they looked to me for answers and many of the firefighters were interested in my work. It was rewarding to be able to educate them in any small way. Gradually, my expertise had become respected and it wasn't as difficult to maintain a scene now. This was the first fire I was working in this county. I wasn't supposed to begin the new role until Monday, but I'd been called in early for this. I was glad I decided to arrive a couple days early to scope out Sunnyville. My household items and vehicle were being shipped. It wasn't so bad staying in a hotel. My bed got made and the room was cleaned. There was something to be said about not having to do it myself. I watched my new crew. They didn't know what to expect from me unless they'd heard things through the pipeline. I knew I was tough, but I also knew I had compassion for both the victims and the crews that were on scene. For this fire, I was definitely going to suggest to the chief that they call in some emotional support. Whenever there's kids involved, I sighed. What a way to start my first day. I paired up a grape and a chunk of cheese and a Ritz cracker. After munching on them and swigging water, I began to feel a bit more human. Cooling down, filling my belly and rehydrating did wonders for a girl. I checked my watch. I still had about 45 minutes before Shannon would be here. I'd catch up on some notes. I reached over for my clipboard and jabbed my finger on the edge of the aluminum cover, my nail getting caught in, this, in the seam. Crap, I pulled my nail out and the tip had chip in it. I'd have to file down. I indulged in pretty nails and pretty lingerie. I had to keep my feminine side somehow in this male-dominated world. Taylor pulled up to the site and maneuvered his way between the emergency vehicles. Driving the coroner's van had its perks and gave him quick access to the scene. He wanted to find a spot fairly close to the house. He dreaded calls like this. It was bad enough when anyone died in a fire, but when there were kids involved... Weaving his way through the parked vehicles, he eased to a halt before the fire hose that ran across the street. He took out his notebook, making a notation of the time, the weather conditions, and the temperature. All that was important when doing the post-mortem and the cause of death. He knew most of the fire crew quite well. He'd been called to a lot of scenes, not just fires, but accidents, suspicious deaths, and the like. He also went out drinking with them to, on occasion, 
even if they had to twist his arm a little bit. Taylor didn't mind going out to hooligans, just not every day. Playing football with the crews was a highlight of working with them, and it gave him a release he needed. Some release he needed. So they all knew each other, both professionally and privately. He got out and walked over to the crowd by the pumper. It was quite a scene today. The hush was palpable. Taylor clenched his jaw, knowing what he was about to face. Hey, Chief, he greeted Rick George, who was in command of the scene today. Doc, Rick reached out and shook Taylor's hands. Not a good day. He agreed with him and looked around at the faces of the other firefighters. They were all solemn and he didn't blame them one little bit. So where's the new investigator? She's over there, he nodded. Taylor looked over at the truck. She? I didn't know the new fire investigator was a woman. He'd only ever met one at a conference a couple of years ago in Denver. Taylor smiled at the memory. She'd certainly be good at igniting a fire. She, yes, she'd come from out of state, but she knows her stuff. Her reputation preceded her. She's tough, accurate, and took the control of the scene right away. Rick smiled at Taylor. Whatever makes the scene safe and properly investigated, Taylor told him, knowing that the chief was baiting him, but he wouldn't bite. Yes, she's waiting for you and the forensic anthropologist. Found three bodies. One is disarticulated. The other two haven't been recovered yet. Waiting for both of you and the anthropologist to continue. Taylor nodded and touched his fingertips to his eyebrows. Gotcha. I'll get suited up. At his van, Taylor pulled on his Tyvek suit and PPE. It was a hot day and it wouldn't be long before he was sweating. He walked over to the house and stood in the shade in front of the white picket fence that ringed the yard. He gazed up at the ruined structure. He was dreading going in this time and drew in a breath, glad for the shade of the tree. He glanced back and saw the investigator walking toward him. He couldn't see her face behind the mask, so he just lifted a hand in acknowledgement. She did the same. She indicated for him to follow her, and he did as he was told. When she led him over to the ladder truck, he knew they were not going in through the front door. He watched her climb the rungs and followed her up the ladder. Firefighters followed behind them. She easily climbed over the sill of the burned-out window and into the gloom of one of the upstairs bedrooms. Taylor quickly followed her and she gave instructions on the layout so he knew where he could go and where he couldn't. Don't go over there, she told him and pointed. Looked like the whole floor was gone, as well as the stairs to the main floor. Taylor flicked on his helmet light and followed the beam, as well as the investigator. He saw where the first body was. It was marked with a cone. He met her eyes and she nodded. Taylor sucked in a breath and crouched down. May as well get on with it. She knelt next to him and they gently swished some of the ash away with a brush until more of the child was exposed. She took photos and he stared at the body. Sometimes being the coroner was way worse than being an ER doc. I think we are uh, a little a little over. I didn't want to stop you though. I mean, it's <laughs> I was sucked into the story, but I was watching the time. So yeah, I, I think we uh we went yeah. a little bit over, but gosh, Shana, that uh that was pretty dark. <laughs> it it is, I know. And um it's I, I've always wanted to write dark, and actually a lot of my scenes are based on what Andrea experienced. So she did a scene like that. And okay. uh yeah, so um it's a romantic suspense, so it, there mm -hmm. there is some humor in it, but uh, yeah, but it's I would love to read you more. I do because I really adore this book. It's actually set in uh, Christy Bromberg's um, Everyday Heroes World. 
Okay. Um, so it's in there. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough. Yeah. But it's reality. And then it gets into yes. other stuff. So yeah, no, that was, um, I mean, I mean, it was really good. I got very sucked into the story, oh, but you know, you. It, it's like you broke my heart as soon as you started reading. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> Well, what did they say? Start off with a bang or something, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that that is true. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to get to the part where they met each other because, you know, you could feel that that was coming and everything. But I'm like, come on, Shada, give us something good because you've already like, you know, you've got me like ready to cry already. So, <laughs> so did you do you think they met already? <clears throat> well, maybe not. You know, I guess I'm assuming, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. Yep, I'll, I'll have to pick up a copy to see. So. <laughs> um, we do have a couple questions. We've got some of our uh, some of our, our regular viewers here tonight, and thank Hi. you guys for coming on um, and watching. I see. Let's see. We've got, and I didn't say hi to people either because we just got on here. But I saw um, Jennifer's with us and Linda, and then we've got Karen, and I saw a couple other names here. Steph is here. Um, and then there's, we do have a Facebook user. This um, interface is super annoying sometimes because it doesn't necessarily show people's names unless they give permission. So, um, but let's see, we do have a couple questions already. Let me see. Um, where was the first one? So Karen is asking, um, and Karen is in question form tonight. Sometimes mm -hmm. she's in question form and sometimes That's she just cool. watches. So Tonight, Karen wants to know, what advice would you give a new writer, someone just starting out? So I'm going to put both of you in the hot seat, but we'll have Shana go first. Oh, that's a good question. Um, if you want to write, you're, you just write and um, try not to fall into the trap of listening to everybody around you with their opinions. You need to find your own way through it. And um, but on the other hand, you Read, read, or writer groups are amazing. RWA used to be a great place to be and it's no longer around. So if you can find local writers to be with and just know that your first book will usually be like your first pancake. It, it never looks good. The second one, the second one is always better than the first. So your first, your first draft may not be the best and that's okay. You know, cause that's how you learn. And, um, I wish anybody starting out uh, the best because it, it's not easy. It's not easy. And you'll think your book is fabulous, you know, but it will need editing. <laughs> I have never heard of anyone refer to their first book as their first pancake, but that actually is um, very that, true. <laughs> really? It's a, a good way to look at it because yeah. <laughs> yeah but good, it it's a good analogy. It is <laughs> a good analogy. Yeah, that, yeah. that definitely fits. Um, but I do think that, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think so many people get so caught up in wanting to make sure, I mean, it depends on your personality. Some people yeah. just jump in, you know, feet first and just start going, but other people get so caught up in wanting to make sure that they're doing everything right, that they never actually write. Mm -hmm. um, and that's it. You know, I've seen yeah. so many people do the contest route, you know, like they do contest after contest after contest on the first chapter. So the first chapter is like freaking amazing, but the rest of the book, it doesn't even hold a mm -hmm. candle to it. And, mm -hmm. and it's important to, to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. I haven't even figured them out, but um, I had a lot of people try and guide me with very bad advice in the early years. And it took me longer than it should have to be published. So but I've been writing since I was a little kid. So anyways, 
Well, and I think sometimes, I mean, to that point, it is hard to know who to listen to because mm -hmm. oftentimes when you are brand new mm -hmm. and you do find some of the writing groups with other brand new people, you know, I mean, you're all, it's kind of like, um, I don't want to say the blind leaning the blind. I hate that saying, but I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. when you're all kind of trying to do the same thing. And I mean, I remember giving people, you know, like bad advice on some of the stuff because you thought that that was you know you'd heard somebody else say it and you were passing it along thinking you were being helpful and mm -hmm. and you weren't and so um I do think um RWA is still around I think it's definitely not as um not what it once was not not what it was before but I do yeah I mean there are still um it's it's more um I don't know that there are any like you know big huge groups like there used to be but there are a lot of smaller groups um mm -hmm. a lot online. of chapters broke That's off like group. toronto romance writers because i'm i'm canadian just outside of toronto yep. they have um they have a conference every year and it's coming up in September and they have, um, oh gosh, it's, it's called PAC. And that's where um, a published author critique, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, those can be really good because you want to try and find somebody above your level to help you. Yeah. And because if you're on the same level, you'll never, you know, you can talk to each other and figure it out. But, mm -hmm. but I have a really hard time with those. I try to do my best and without harming anybody or, mm -hmm shaking the foundation i am the first one to admit i need an editor for my punctuation and grammar okay mm -hmm. so i don't even go there when it comes yep. to grammar so anyways that's ch check them out though they might still have that critique yep. writers. how about you emma what, what would you give what advice would you give someone brand new I think that you should read a lot. Um, yeah. You know, one thing that I that I've noticed when I've chatted with new writers sometimes is they read one or two books in a genre and they're so excited and so they want to like go out and start and like I mean that's awesome like follow your enthusiasm but I think particularly in a commercial genre like romance you got to understand the market so I would say like read a ton read books like what you want to write and they're different from what you want to write and books that you love and books that you hate um, and and then write a lot. You know, I think the pancake analogy is a great one. My mm -hmm. first book was terrible and it was made me mad. It was so bad. And I think I kept writing out of like spite, like I had to do better than that. Um, but I also, if I had like queried that first book, like I never would have found a publisher. I never mm -hmm. would have found an agent. I probably wouldn't have found critique partners because that book was bad. Like no one would have wanted to read more stuff from me. So I think also just know that you're going to get better um, whether that's through writing groups, whether it's through reading craft books, whether it's just from writing more and knowing that book two is going to be stronger than book one. But I would say read a lot and write a lot. Um, yeah. I know. I was just thinking like maybe a truffle is because truffles are hard to make. I was like maybe a truffle or a crepe instead of a pancake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm analyzing the analogy now. I'm, a, I'm <laughs> but you know, the perfect, the perfect edible object to um, to use in, yeah. your, in your analogy. <laughs> like even as I read Backdraft, which has gone through yeah. editors, I still find things in there. I'm like, okay, you used cooler too many times, right? You know, I know. like I, I know. you know, and you're like, yeah, but. <laughs> Well, and that would be something else too, because I don't know about both of you, but you know, once you start writing. Like you never read like a reader again, you start reading like a writer and it's super annoying. And I will say that, you know, it loses some of the magic when you start reading books as a writer instead of a reader, because you do pick up on things that, you know, did, did that author just head hop or, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, I think like, 
wait a minute, there were three hands in that scene because yeah. he can't have his hand here and here and here. And, and you just, you know, it just starts. I have a hard yeah. time reading. I, like if it doesn't yeah. catch me within the first page, it's gone. And that yeah. that is a good training tool for writing your own book on the first page. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's do uh, another one. We've got another one from Karen, who is um, prolific with questions tonight. Mm -hmm. She wants to know what book is currently on your bedside table. J.D. Robb. Oh, Illusion classic choice. Okay. <laughs> it's an old one. There you go. Well, it's a classic, right? Um, you can never go wrong with Nora. Um, I am currently reading um, a book by Ruby Lang, who I saw there was another question about underappreciated novels. And I would say I think Ruby is an underappreciated and brilliant novelist, but it's called The Art of Losing and it's a novella um, and it's just gorgeous. It is about grief. It is it is heavy, but um, I, I find sometimes the heavier books can feel more that much more magical when the love mm -hmm. comes in, right? Um, because they are, I mean, Fluffy's great too. I love Fluffy, mm -hmm. but, um, but sometimes I think when you can pull off both, that just feels like a magic trick to me and Ruby mm -hmm. is so wonderful at that. Mm -hmm. Okay. My book is that one there. Whoopsie. Where'd I go? Oh my God, that one. <laughs> What's the title? The last message. It's okay. all about grief and recovery. <laughs> Couple good recommendations. All right. I'm going to, gosh, do we have anybody besides Karen asking questions? Okay, here we go. I'm going to put Jennifer Daniels up here. And Emma, let's go to you first on this one. When you have a mental writing block, what do you do to restart? This is such a great question. I went through this really long period of epic writer's walk between about 2017 and 2020. And I only wrote novellas in that period. And I started writing things and couldn't finish them. And I broke up with an agent and like, it was a lot of a lot of trauma. So for me, the way that I got over that mental writing block um, was to go back to the things that make me feel like me, whether those are reading things, like I reread a lot in that period and was trying to find that magic again as a reader. But sometimes it was like watching movies and listening to music. And for me, I had to take some of the pressure to write off myself mm -hmm. um, because then I would feel bad about the fact I was not writing, which would then mm -hmm. make me feel worse and less like writing. Um, and then when I did write again, the book that I wrote was Chick Magnet. Um, I I wrote a book that was totally for me and I didn't think about the market at all, which is the exact mm -hmm. opposite of what I just said a second ago. But I had to write my weird book about chickens and I had to not worry if that book was going to find, mm -hmm. you know, a publisher. And it did. Like all those things happened with it. But I had to sort of stop thinking about externalities because there were too many other voices in my head. So I had to go back to hearing myself. Um, and that meant turning everything else down, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think to that point, too, people have different reasons for writing. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, somebody might be writing because they're the sole supporter of, you know, four kids and, mm -hmm. and have to put food on the table. And somebody else might be writing because it's a second career and they're living mm -hmm. off their retirement and they're doing it more, you know, for fun. Or someone mm -hmm. might just be writing for themselves. And then, you know, you don't have to worry about or they might not, you know, even care what telling just want to write the things that they want to write. So I think you know, you have to think about, you know, who is your audience is, and mm -hmm. some people do just write for themselves. And, and I think, yeah. yeah, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves if we are trying to write for profit and make it mm -hmm. a career. And, and um, yeah, I think that's a really good point. How about you, Shana? When, when you have a mental writing block, what do you do? You know, I don't really think I get them um, because I'm a pantser and 
I ha I'm always formulating ideas in my head and I know where it's going. But once I get writing, I just like write and I dictate. So for me, it's mm -hmm. like, blah, 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 blah. and that is, and it comes out. But if I do find myself stuck, usually I just sort of sit back and, and um, turn my attention to something outside, like gaze at a tree mm -hmm. or just watch nature or something like that. And then it's like, I snap out of it and then I get back at it. But um, I think your point on writing for you is huge. Like Backdraft, I wanted to write that. Northern uh, Rescue, I wanted to write that. And both of them are doing really, really well um, and getting some really nice reviews. And then I find um, some of my publisher books uh, may struggle a little more than my indies. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. okay, that's because I had a publisher perhaps um, suggesting things about mm -hmm. certain things that maybe, you know, but I love those books and they're still great. But my top books are, are my indies and mm -hmm. I got more coming. <laughs> so it's, it's all right. No right to market. Um, if you write mm -hmm. to market, you have to you have to be fast. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you have to be um, just super aware and the market changes so quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just changes. It's hard to stay on top of everything. So yeah. quickly. And um, that is stressful. All right. Well, I think we're going to turn it over to Emma now and go in a different direction. Um, now I'm kind of glad that we did have Shana uh, read first because you know, I'm sorry to bring you all down. We'll bring in the chickens and maybe, you know, lighten things up a little bit here. Um it's yeah. a hard act to follow, though. I mean, like, this is not as emotionally intense. I will say oh. that right from the start. But you know what? That is okay. Um, and that's what I love about romance is there is something for everybody. And sometimes you are in a mood for, uh, you know, tearjerker, like, rip my heart out. And other times you are in the mood for just something that is going to distract and give you an escape. And um, I think that's the beauty of our genre is there's we've got it all. So yes, yeah. totally agree. Okay. Right, so I'm so going to read from the opening of chick magnet. Um, and you know, we'll just go for about eight minutes here and we'll, we'll see how it, how it lands. All right. Perfect. We okay. will leave you to it. Okay. Thank you. The tiny dinosaur surveyed Nicole Jones hungrily. One scratched the ground. Another squawked. Nick rolled her eyes. Come on, ladies. We've been through this a bazillion times. I can't get into the coop if you crowd the doorway. Her words fell on feathered ears, feathered gallinaceous ears, those belonging to her backyard chickens. They moved with none of the coordination or grace of a school of fish. Heads bobbing to individual rhythms, they kept bumping into one another, seemingly una unable to get out of each other's way. One managed to shake the group. She celebrated by snipping at the fabric of Nick's skirt, which she found inedible and then tried to eat a second time. Oh, you clever girl. Nick her way between the birds and hung the feeder on a hook. There you go. Plenty to eat now. She dropped back a few steps and watched the flock peck greedily at the pellets of grain and meal. Nick still had to paint the coop and plant its rooftop garden bed with herbs and flowers, a process that she would document in extreme detail for her loyal fans, who'd give her clicks and subscribe to her Patreon and otherwise keep Nick's career simmering, especially after the disaster of six weeks ago. As she'd been dumped by her boyfriend and rejected by her best friend and then had driven across the country in a car jam-packed with chickens, the only thing Nick had been able to think was, Granny would have seen this coming. She would have sized Brian up at a glance, something Nick hadn't managed to do in years of close observation, and she never would have let Nick forget 
that she hadn't fallen for his act. That one's a dud, darling. She would have known it instantly. Nick had flaws, of course. She scribbled in her books, and she left her socks on the floor, and she cared entirely too much about what people thought of her. But she had never suspected that she was a poor judge of character. There was simply no escaping what you had hatched. But speaking of chickens, where's Mitzi? Nick asked. The flock just kept eating, of course. The absent one was probably laying, grateful to finally have an egg box and some privacy again. That Nick completely understood. She was looking forward to some alone time herself. Rain splattered across Nick's face. The black clouds that had been hanging heavy in the sky all afternoon while the movers had finished their work were finally spilling over. At least it had held off that long. I'll check on you in a bit, Nick said to her birds. Then she hiked up the skirt of her maxi sundress and dashed across the yard to her back porch. Several raindrops ran down her back before she got through the screen door and into the house. The atmosphere inside was heavy and still. It had been too long since Nick had been in the South, and she'd forgotten how the air was different here than on the West Coast. More present, never letting you forget about it. Air that demanded things from you. Nick dodged to the pile of boxes in the maze of the unfamiliar layout. Move to a new town, they said. Get a fresh start, they said. Nothing like a thousand miles to put your breakup behind you, they said. They left out how damn much work it would be. She threw herself into the first chair she could find. But the instant her butt hit the seat, before she'd even finished exhaling all the way, a knock sounded on the front door. Nick didn't want to get up. Not now and maybe never again. She was exhausted. But it was probably a curious neighbor who'd seen the moving truck and Nick needed to make a good first impression. She slid her aching feet back into her flip-flops, forced a smile onto her face, and dashed down the hallway. The hello died, or more precisely evaporated, in her mouth when she opened the door. An enormous, wide-shouldered, sandy blonde hair, broad-faced man, good-looking in a pillaging Viking sort of way, stood on her steps. He had been smiling, a polite neighborly sort of smile, but as soon as he and Nick locked eyes, the corners of his mouth fell and crisp parallel lines appeared across his forehead. Um, hey, what can I do for you? Nick asked after an almost inappropriately long pause. He was just so good looking and he appeared to be so annoyed and she was so tired. Too tired for the puzzle this was going to be, for whatever apology she was going to have to offer, for what she didn't even know. Do you have chickens? His tone wasn't rude, but it was curt. For a minute, it was all Nick could do to blink at him. Did she have chickens? But this wasn't about Nick at all. The guy probably hated chickens, assuming they'd be smelly or loud and bring down his property values somehow. The kind of person who lobbied cities to keep the poultry laws strict and punitive. She knew all about how to handle this type. She needed to be charming and to promise him some eggs, and he'd fade into the background. Yes, I do, Nick said, but they won't bother you. In fact, one of them is loose. The grumpy Viking was wrong. He had to be. That's impossible. I was just out there. She's about this high. He held a foot, held a hand about a foot and a half off the ground. Golden, sort of curvy. He was describing Mitzi, the hen that Nick had assumed was laying. Son of an amorous Zeus, how is that possible? How did she get out? Chickens can fly. Normally, Nick would eat anyone who tried to mansplain chickens to her, but she didn't have the time just now. She had a bird to catch. She stepped out into the stoop and scanned the yard. It was poultry free. Where did you see her? In those bushes. 
He pointed to the large holly hedge that separated Nick's house from the one next door. Maybe his place. No, nobody, nope, nope, nope. The last thing she needed right now was some silly crush. The best way to avoid landing on TMZ again was not to fall in love. And at this point, that seemed a small price to pay. Hubris, she muttered as she marched away from the man whose hotness she wasn't going to notice again. What? Obviously, his granny hadn't gifted him Dallaire's Greek myths for his fifth birthday. That's how people offend the god, she explained, like Arachne, bragging about how she could weave better than a goddess. I'd just been thinking I could relax. That was hubris. I need to atone, make an offering. Roasted meat is traditional. Maybe she ought to barbecue a certain chicken. Nick lifted a branch to the side, but no bird was visible in the thick hedge. Her neighbor had no reason to lie to her, though. He wasn't Brian. She moved another branch and bingo. A small, dark figure stood in the midst of the bushes. It shifted its weight from one foot to the other, the universal sign for chicken guilt. Mitzi, come out here right now. Nick's hens responded only to treats in her hands, but a sharp command was worth a try. The figure shifted again. This wasn't going to be easy. Nick got on all fours and began crawling into the hedge. Flush her toward me. The Viking's voice came from behind Nick and down a ways. From there, he'd have a perfect view of Nick's ass hanging out of the bushes. Sweet salami on a cracker, but she had bad luck. I got this. Nick had been aiming for a breezy and confident tone, but she hit gritted out between her teeth instead. It's raining. He didn't sound happy about it. All of this just seemed to annoy him, which raised the question about why he'd bothered to knock on her door at all. Was it really a random act of kindness if you were growly about it? Except it had really started to come down. It wasn't cold, thank you, southern June weather, but Nick's dress suddenly seemed hopelessly thin and increasingly damp. She might need some help. Swallow your pride and then ignore him forever. That was what Granny would say if she were here anyhow, and Nick could at least pretend to follow her wisdom. Okay, I'll try to shoo her out. If you sort of loom over her, she'll probably squat down and you can grab her. Nick edged into the bushes. As her eyes adjusted, she could see Mitzi clearly. The hand flicked her head from side to side, likely trying to decide which way to run. Go out toward the large man. Better yet, you could let me grab you. Nick wasn't certain whether she could get them both out, even if she could get a hand on Mitzi, but it would do wonders for her ego. Maybe then she'd ask for the Viking's name, see whether she could get him to smile, though that might crack his stern face in half. You want to get out, don't you? Nick tried to make her voice soft and non-threatening as she inched forward. We're going to help you. We'll get you back in the coop and you'll feel so much better with your flock and some dinner. Nick lifted up one hand and slowly extended it toward Mitzi's foot. I'll give you a big handful of... Mitzi made a distress call as she rushed toward Nick and then fainted and dashed out a small gap in the branches. Outside the bush, there was a rustle of wings, a few choice curses, and then a thud. Nick backed out of the holly as quickly as possible and then found an irate Viking on his butt, in the grass, without a feather in sight. She eluded you? Nick scrubbed at a scratch. She'd gotten down one arm. Yep, I slipped and... He gestured to finish the thought, and he was such a picture of grumpy disappointment that Nick wanted to giggle. She didn't want to be rude, though. For all that he was aggravated, he was helping her out. I'm sorry. Just so sorry. I appreciate you telling me she was out, but you really can go. I won't be offended. Actually, Nick would prefer it. Nah, he replied dryly. I'm curious how it'll end. What's her name? He hadn't asked for Nick's name, but she tried not to let that bother her. Mitzi. Houdini would have been better. 
Probably when he was wet, and probably when he wasn't wet, and being bested by a lawn dinosaur, the Viking was charming. But it was the charming ones who hurt you the most. And that's where I'm going to stop for right now. Uh, but please feel free to check out the rest later. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I could totally picture um, a giant <laughs> Viking on his rear end after chasing a chicken. So, <laughs> And this, my friends, happened to me. Um, so, like, right after is, we got our first... Is this how you met your, like, your significant other? <laughs> no, I, him I've known for a long time. But um, right after we got our chickens, because they live in your house for a while if you have not raised them. Like, when okay. they're little balls of fluff, like, they, they do not have real feathers, and so they have to stay in your house. And then once they feather out, they move outside. So one of my chickens escaped and a neighbor that I had never met came and knocked on my door and he was like, ma'am, one of your chickens is out. And this very nice and quite good looking gentleman and I chased my gosh darn chicken in the rain for 30 minutes oh until gosh. we caught her and I came in and I tweeted about it and romance Twitter is like the best, right? They were like, so Emma, when will you be writing this book? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was in the middle of that writer's block. So it took me a while, but I did eventually mm -hmm. write the book, my friends, and this is it. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. It's a great start and a great, a great inspiration. It was yes. funny in the book. It was not actually funny to live. No, no. <laughs> you never are until later, right? And then exactly. you laugh your butt off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's much better in fiction than it was in real life, I assure you. <laughs> so I have to ask, um, my my uh, oldest made me sit down and watch Extraction with, with them the other night. Mm -hmm. And Chris Hemsworth is in that movie and he has chickens. <laughs> have you seen that movie? I have not. I started to watch it and then I it it was, was it good. Well, I mean it's uh you know kind of like shoot him up. Um he's like trying to rescue. I don't know. I, I we watched one and two like the same day, and so I they're kind of like intermixed in my head. But yeah, it was just you know, this big huge bad guy with so when I sent my publisher the notes for the cover, um, mm -hmm. Chris Hemsworth was the was the inspiration for Will, Can at least in my head. Now? Yeah, yeah. Now they they did they did a good job. Um, yeah. I would say he's not quite as like grizzled as as Chris, but he does have like the the Viking thing. But yes, that was actually he was he was my my cover inspiration. Nice. <laughs> no, it was pretty funny that yeah, because yeah, he had his chickens that lived with him in his house, and so yeah, it just. Have you seen the Arnold stuff? Like Arnold has a donkey and a pony. Uh -huh. I just I watched his documentary. That was crazy yes. good too. Yes. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, chickens, they're, they're very hot right now. And there are actually like, like, she's like a chicken influencer, the female protagonist. And that like, I've gotten so many emails from people who are like, that is not a thing. And like, my friends, if you are not familiar mm -hmm. with chicken Instagram and chicken talk, like, mm -hmm. you need to rectify that hole in your lives. Um, wow, and I, I, I did not know. <laughs> Okay, my, my absolute favorite is drinking with chickens. Um, and oh. so if you have not looked up drinking with chickens, I gotta make should. a note of that one. Um, That's her like Right up our alley here, Romance Happy Hour. Oh, it's great. I, like, I, mm -hmm. I actually bought her book and everything. And the recipes, the drink recipes are really good. But yeah, drinking oh, with chickens is my favorite. Um, so if you need an, an, an introduction to the world of chicken influencers, that's where I would okay. start. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to check that out. Um, back to books and, and talking <laughs> about books, which, you know, always happy to get us back to, to book book talk not book talk um <laughs> we do have a couple other questions i was going to see if we can get through the rest of them just in the time that we have left um let's see karen asked what do you think is the best way to improve your writing skills 
So we'll have you go first on that one, Emma. I think the best way to improve your writing skills is to respond to other people's work. And I will admit I'm biased in this way because I am like a college English instructor. So like responding to people's writing, not creative writing, but nonfiction writing is what I do all day. But um, it is sometimes easier to see the flaws in someone else's draft than in your own, as you were talking about earlier, Shana, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and But then I think once you've learned to respond to other people's work, and I always think of it as like spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? So you have to like have that comment. And it has to be genuine, something you love about the draft, and then mm -hmm. two or three action items. After you do that five, 10, 20 times, then I think it is easier to see those same issues in your own work that maybe you're reading over before. So I would say, mm -hmm. you know, be a, be a reader, both of published work, but also of unpublished work, but be a critiquer. And I think mm -hmm. that once you develop those skills, it is easier to edit and self-edit your own, your own stuff. So that would mm -hmm. be my advice. Oh, good advice. How about you, Shana? How do you follow that? <laughs> <laughs> I think just keep writing, um, pay attention. And if, if, anybody gives you feedback look for similarities um like you might see a, th a, a thread of a problem um and just you know i i created a, ch a cheat sheet a cheat sheet i don't have it handy of things that i've discovered i do wrong my agent um suggested i do this back in the day and it's a big long page to to check things like duplicate words um mm -hmm. missing words or switching tenses and all this sort of stuff like i said i'm not great with grammar so um i do my best and but i think it, it's it's just keep writing keep at it read and um you know talk to people and ask people to read your own thing too and to give you honest feedback because a lot of times people and, and you have to know them because a lot of times if you ask people for feedback they'll sugarcoat it because they mm -hmm. don't want to upset you and it's mm -hmm. like no you know don't worry about that be nice but be ruthless and harlequin mm -hmm. is great at doing the the sugar coating in the beginning and then mm -hmm. <laughs> diving right into what needs to be done mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. well and i, I think to too I when, just wanted, when you're in those, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to re respond to Jennifer there that she said she was in your fire and rescue as a nurse. And um, thank you. That sounds amazing. And somebody else down mm -hmm. here said, if it was my book, if it was the fire book, it was backdraft. That's what I was reading. Because yep. I don't yep. think Emma had started reading that. No, I think it was yours. I think that was Linda. And I did put a link mm. in there because okay. um, it's in Kindle Unlimited. So I did put the link in there to that so which um by the way for both of you um when you have a chance afterwards go back and if you would put a link mm -hmm. to the book that you read to um mm -hmm. read from tonight so that people can find it easily that would be fantastic Perfect. so if they want to read more um all right what do we have next karen oh my gosh karen you are very prolific tonight um mm -hmm. karen said tell us about your first published mm -hmm. book and what was the journey like and i know um I was going to say, holy cow, I could probably talk for like 20 minutes about the journey of the first published mm -hmm. book because it was such a long journey. But um, yeah, give us the short version. Is that possible? <laughs> I think the first <laughs> book usually has a fairly long journey. So give us, <laughs> give us the short version. Okay. I'll go if you like. Sure. Um, my very first book ever published was called No Fantasy Required. And it was um, a female, male, female book. I just jumped right in. And <laughs> And it was published in 2010, and it was a novella with um, a small press. Oh, my gosh. Why can't I remember the name of the press? Anyways, um, it, was, it was a long journey because I actually wrote it 
on one page one, uh, first page. And I wrote it for the guy I was dating at the time because he wanted to have that fantasy. And so I wrote it. And then um, somehow or another, I met uh, somebody from um, Bold Strokes Books who writes, uh, who publishes all uh, queer books. And I thought, okay, um, I will send it to them. And their feedback really helped me. Um, they wouldn't take it because it was too hetero. And that's fine. Um, so it just spurred me on. And that's when I got uh, the small publisher. I now have the rights back to that. And I'll probably republish that um, as well as the other two books that were with that publisher. Yeah. And how long did it take from, you know, like start to finish? Oh, um, I'm going to say it took me about nine months. Okay. And I remember... Um, this is this is what you never do, okay? When you when you reach out to a publisher, I've been working with them, a uh, feedback back and forth, rewriting back and forth, and that's what happens before it's contracted. And then, uh, and then finally, I sent them in a proper, you know, like what they were wanting, and then they rejected me. So I replied back very, um, very put out that they rejected me because, come on, you were working with me for the last nine months. Why didn't you take the book? And uh, and like that, you don't do that, you know. <laughs> And I did not know that. That was back in the early days. But the publisher was amazing. Len Barrow is her name or otherwise known as Radcliffe. And her and I remain friends after that. So she said to me, not everything gets published. And she says, I think Alora's Cave might be looking for something like this. So give them a try. And that uh, that kind of was my branch off into Alora's Cave. All right. How about you, Emma? What was your first first published book and the story behind it? So the first book that I published um, was initially called Special Interests. I've gotten the rights back and it's now called The One You Want. Um, and it was the third book I wrote. So my first book, the terrible book, um, I wrote that book and then I wrote a historical and then I went and wrote this one and I could tell it was better, you know, like mm -hmm. something clicked about the voice and it, it felt better to me. Um, and I pitched it in a Twitter pitch event to Karina Press. Um, and it was the first Karina pitch event. And that was in 2012 or 2013. I think 2013. I think I started it as my nano book in 2012. Um, and, and then I sold it. Um, and it, it was honestly shocking. I did not think it would sell because it's set in the world of American politics. And, you know, I think there's a lot of romance readers who don't necessarily want politics in a book because it's escapist um and so I honestly just wanted some feedback like I wanted some like honest feedback from an editor I'd done some other contests and things um but I just hadn't gotten great feedback and part of the draw was like if you enter this this pitch event we will give you feedback and I think it was like six or eight weeks it was really fast too mm -hmm. and so like I was doing it just to get the notes and when I got that call, I, I honestly like thought it was a joke. You know, I, it was really shocking. And that book came out in 2014. Um, and then I got the rights back last fall and then re republished it. Okay. Yeah. Great. So yeah, two different ways of getting your first book published, <laughs> but both of you um, went trad, which is interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. When it comes to that, like for me, and this was bad advice from people who, are no longer in my life. Um, it was like, why would you ever want to go indie? Because um, you have to pay for everything yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it got ingrained into my brain. Yeah, I need a publisher because the publisher will take take mm -hmm. the lion's share of everything. And, and if you want that, that's great. But um, but now I'm like a latecomer. I had published my first indies back in 2004. 
14, 13 and 14, nothing really much happened. And they're still kind of sitting there. I pulled some down, but now I'm redoing them. I've got a new one coming out. Well, Northern Rescue came out and then I'm doing a new one now. So um, a redoing one that was uh, out before retitled, renamed and polishing up. And that's when you notice your writing change. Mm -hmm. You look at your old books and you're going, ooh. Yeah. And then you carry on. I think for me, there had been that big slowdown in the indie market in 2012 and 2013, um, you know, where the, things had just been gangbusters between yeah. like 2009 and 2012. And it was just really clear that that like, you know, 200% a year growth with oh. the Kindle adoption, that that was over. And so I think yeah. I felt kind of nervous. I think if I had jumped in a few years earlier, I, I yeah. might have gone into, um, I think I felt like I sort of missed the boat and I've done yeah. indie stuff since. And certainly, mm -hmm. you know, I definitely think of myself as a hybrid, but I think it was like that moment people were like, ooh, maybe, maybe I don't know. Like the market was just clearly in flux. And that's what drove mm -hmm. my decision. What yeah. made me jump in was going to a lecture or a workshop with Marie Force and mm -hmm. Kevin Lyon um, at RWA. And I think it was San Antonio. And I thought, I'm going indie mm -hmm. or at least hybrid. And that's that's what started me into the, to mm -hmm. the track. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's so nice that we have so many choices. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, I'm hybrid too, so yeah. Yep, and I'm a hybrid author too. So yeah, <laughs> um, it's and I, I feel like that's almost the best of both worlds because you get to yeah. see things from all different sides. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I my first book book was published in 2018, and so you know, again, I felt like at the time I didn't, you know, I I, I wanted someone else to look at it like you, Emma, yeah. because I had no idea if what I was writing was even any good. It didn't feel mm -hmm. like it was good enough to publish, you know, and so I wasn't mm -hmm. confident enough to publish indie like I wanted mm -hmm. somebody to to look at it and tell me you know like the, you're wasting your time or you know mm -hmm. like oh actually this isn't half bad and I think you know we can make something of this and so yeah mm -hmm. I, I didn't have the guts to put it out there on my own because I just wasn't confident enough so yeah. um we are like right in an hour I'm gonna end us with this one and I know that you both mm -hmm. have um already made some book recommendations but if you can think of one more let's end on a positive note tonight and uh give yeah. us some more reading material what is your favorite underappreciated novel linda is asking mine um because i i have a hard time reading a lot of things and finishing them because of what we talked about earlier a book that i read by a woman i met um at a writing retreat um it's a thriller and it's called killing streak and her name is merrick clark and she was it you um who went to um denver this year or are you going to Denver, Reader's Take Denver? Um, I, I was there this year, yeah. Yeah, well, Merritt Clark was there under the thriller suspense. And her book, that book is incredible, is all I'm going to say. Um, I, I can't talk it up enough. And whenever anybody asks me about a book, I always say that one. Okay. I'm going next year. Are you going next year? Yes, I should yes, be there. I was there. Um, I was there with Bookbox Babe last year, so I actually didn't get to go to any of the signing stuff okay. because I, I was at the vendor area the whole time. Um, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, so I felt like I didn't get to see any of the, the authors. I'm looking for that so I can put a link in there. It's Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T. One, one R, M-E-R-I-T, Clark. Okay. All right, I'll find a, a link for that and put yeah. that in the, in the notes for everybody. Mm -hmm. Ah, found it. It's good. It's graphic, but it's, it's good. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. And it looks like that one is available wide. I'm just going to put the Amazon link up there because I'm on that page. Um, but yeah, if you, if you buy from other retailers, you know, please check it out. But there, at least you've got the name and everything. 
So how about you, Emma? I know you already gave us one. Do you have another one for us? Or is um, that yeah, no, I've, I've got another one. Um, so I mentioned Ruby Lang earlier. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention Therese Bahari had a book that came out last month called Single Dads Club, and I think single dad books are very hot right now. Um, it is set in South Africa, which is a fairly unusual choice, and she does live in South Africa. Um, but it's about this guy who's a single dad, and he moves to this small town, and there's a sort of waitress there um, who befriends him, and then connects him with these other men in the town who form this really interesting and very like supportive community of men, which I think is something that we don't always see enough of in romance. Um, and it's just a lovely, like grumpy, sunshine, contemporary book that just felt very different and fresh to me. Um, and very, I thought, balanced like the emotion, but also the sweetness and the swooniness of love with some more serious issues in a really lovely way. So my choice is going to be Trace Bahari's um, Single Dads Club. Okay. I found that one too. And that one looks like it's in KU. So I'll put the link it for is. that one. Up. So, okay. Awesome. Well, there you, you all should be, you know, have enough reading material at least to get you through the weekend. Right. Um, with how quickly everybody reads. Um, yeah. We've got what a couple, like five books that should keep you busy at least through Sunday. <laughs> yes. So, um, just want to remind everybody, we do have a giveaway. If you were on our page today, you might have seen, Somebody tried to copy the Romance Happy Hour page and no was commenting on all of the entries, um, saying that everyone won and to click on their link and um, put in your credit card information. I, I think I, I reported them. I blocked all their comments. Um, just so you know, like we would never, ever, ever in a million years ask you for your credit card information. Um, and so, um, yeah, hopefully we've got that taken care of. But um, if, if you see that kind of stuff, just let us know. But we've got a giveaway both from Shana and from Emma. Shana, you've got a gift card up for grabs. And Emma, you've got a signed paperback copy of um, Chick Magnet up for grabs. And so go ahead and you can enter either in the Romance Happy Hour book club on Facebook, um, the Facebook group, or you can enter on the Facebook page. And we'll leave that open through Sunday night so that you have a chance to do that. Um, and we'll make sure that we get entries from both places but yeah do not please 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 do not um click on any of those links because we will we will never ever ever ask for that information it's super duper frustrating when people get a hold of your information like that and yeah. and start to pretend to be be other accounts and take advantage of people so it's getting almost like epidemic i mean mm -hmm. i've seen yeah. it on um on con conference pages on yeah. facebook there's yep. tickets for sale and yep. yet they're, they're all fake. It just, it boggles my mind. Yep. Really yep. No, it's unfortunate. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, I don't know. We'll see if we can figure out some way to protect against it. I mean, we've been doing this now for several years and it's the first time that's happened, um, which is kind of surprising, but also, um, but also, yeah, we, we will make sure we have place people to get to that kind of stuff. So we'll see what we can do, but um, parting thoughts. Is there any special place where people can find you? Um, are you more Facebook or Instagram or book talkers or where, where can people find you, Shana? You want to tell us just, well, honestly, I'm having such a hard time keeping up with all the social media. I go into my reader group, which is called Shana's Shenanigators. So I'm in there a lot. Um, I try to post out in Instagram and in TikTok, both under Catherine and Shana, but it's just, it's so difficult. So for me, mm -hmm. it's my newsletter and mm -hmm. my reader group that I 
I really focus in. So okay. uh, I may miss things and I'm coming up to the, to the limit on friends. So I might have to hop over now to, to the profile, which I'm like, Oh, I got too many pages. Cause Catherine has a page too. And I, I can't, I just can't cope. You know, well, feel free to put a link to your group in the comments too. When you go okay. back so people can find you there. And how about you, Emma? Where do so you spend I'm, most of your time? I'm on the web at authoremmaberry.com and I'm mostly on Twitter and Twitter is dying. Um, but I'm also on Instagram. I am never on Facebook. So it's not going to be the place to find me, but Twitter and Instagram, both very good. Okay. Are you <laughs> going to threads? Are you going to try a- that thing called threads? Yeah. You know, I, I struggle not- with like Mark Zuckerberg as like a person. I mean, I know I'm on Instagram. So like that doesn't fit Emma, but, um, but no, I, I am on blue sky and I'm hopeful that that's going to take off as a Twitter I've alternative. Never heard of that one. So it's invite only it's beta right now. And it basically is like a total copy of Twitter. And I oh. like, a, I like a text-based platform. I like pictures too on Instagram, but like, I'm not mm-hmm. a video person. So TikTok doesn't work for me. So anyway, I'm hoping blue sky takes off, but it's not there yet. So we'll have to see. It's yeah. just so many choices. There is. Like, I don't know if I could cope with threads. Like um, my son is an influencer like, on, on, um, on TikTok. He's 3.5 million followers. And, and it's like, it's crazy. And he has like specific things that he does. And then I just, I put little ones out there. It's too hard to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then you spend all your time doing that when you should be writing, right? Yeah. So that's exactly the problem. It's so. a lot. It is a lot. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of uh, world we live in nowadays is uh, everything is is available on social media. So I know yeah. we adapt, but yeah. all right, we're going to end it for now and we will see you in a couple weeks. Hopefully Don will be back and we will have a couple other authors that we'll be reading and um, we'll see you then. Thank you both Sheena and Emma. It was really um, a lot of fun reading or hearing both of you read from your books and two completely different stories, but both um, just equally as intriguing and enjoyable. So thanks for sharing your work with us tonight and we will see you next time. Thank you. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.